Welcome to Our Data, a podcast about the public's interest in the era of big data. We explore the contours of the public's interest in the landscape of emerging database technologies. Blockchain, AI, big data, and the Internet of Things are pushing the boundaries of our imagination while challenging the ability of policymakers to respond appropriately and effectively. Join us as we talk to leading edge thinkers and doers engaged in the design, development, and regulation of these transformative database technologies with a sharp focus on how they impact the common good. Hey, this is Mike Schmitz. I'm the host of Our Data, a new podcast presented by Codex Blockchain Group and Tech for Good Initiative. And I'm here with Ruben Youngblom, our producer, co-host, and jack of every trade. Uh, today, we have a great show. Uh, we'll get right into it. I uh, want to introduce uh, two of the leaders of computational law movement from MIT with both the new project and thinking about it, Daza Greenwood and Brian Wilson. Hey, welcome. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us. Hi, guys. A- absolutely. Absolutely. We're thrilled. We're thrilled. And I see everybody has their, uh, it's like New Year's, new cups and, and new initiatives we're taking on. Um, exactly. I'll ask you to introduce yourself, but the cups first. Daza, tell us um, what do you have there and what, what do you got for us today? Describe it in, in great detail for the, uh, for the home audience. Yeah. I have in my left hand, sir, the, God, I hope I pronounce this right, Waikato uh, Law School, uh, Faculty of Law, very handsome and efficient coffee mug. Mm-hmm. It is transparent, so you can see your coffee. Is it as you drink it with a with a very functional rubber lid, and um, All right. that comes from the dean of law school, who we met. Uh, Brian and I met at um, Harvard's Case Law Access Project, where he was kind of passing through and trying to see what's going on with computational law and that sort of stuff in the U.S. And so we hope to collaborate with him. In my other hand, I have a, another very handsome and functional large vessel from Iltacon, and it's some um, kind of um, bespangled with light, nice colors and things like that. And it's got this nice little, like, open it, close it, open it, close it, open it. All right. Often, I like to use this one for the sparkly water. Uh, yes. Pretty much uh, how we're doing the vessel management today at MIT Media Lab. Love it. Life lessons and, from, from MIT. That's right. That's right. And Brian. Uh, uh, anything as exciting yes. or is it um, well i i've i've been slow playing my my cup game since we've uh since we've jumped on but i've got my uh relativity uh e-discovery mug that Woo! i've got hot tea in and then oh, i've right. got a, a cup of water from uh uh single a baseball oh. team here City, oh, is that Dodgers? Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Those but. Dodgers, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, not getting into local jurisdictional issues, but yeah, yeah, not, not, not right now. Pretty dodgy. Yeah, so I'm gonna just gonna write down here. I only have one uh, beverage vessel, so I'm doing something wrong. Okay. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's a in a production note. Yeah. <laughs> this is a personal note. Exactly. This is, this is this for me. Is just, just water, just glass. That's all I got. <laughs> all i got hey so so daza tell us just let's jump into this because frankly what you all are doing at mit is uh, helping define the next 
at least the next decade. We're, we won't go further than that, but you're jumping into stuff that that um, folks have been grappling with for some time, but a really exciting new project, but also the thinking behind it. Um, your, well, I won't, I'm just going to ask you, tell us what you're doing, Daza. Tell us what what is new and what should we be paying attention to? Thank you. Uh, that's kind words. And, I, you know, um, I know you're asking what we're doing at MIT, but I want to start by talking about an uh, area uh, of things that I'm doing that's actually in collaboration with you and your team at Codex um, in the blockchain working group. And that's, we participate um, in uh, the sort of various global communities to uh, of people that are thought leaders and innovators uh, in the, let's just say the intersection of law and technology. And mm -hmm. um, there's a, a kind of a, a regular meeting um, that your group um, hosts that is one of the one of the best ways that we found to stay in contact with the overall fabric of what's happening. Uh, and that's um, uh, including your Reg Tracks uh, project and, and so many other great things that are coming out of Codex. So uh, that's one thing we do is participate in groups like that, just to understand mm -hmm. what's happening, to track it. But what's happening here in our lab, um, which is um, the Human Dynamics Lab at MIT, uh, run by Professor Sandy Pentland, uh, we're doing a deep dive now into what we call computational law. Um, so uh, the, the law um, expressing itself as basically like computer code or something that a mm -hmm. machine can process. And it's mm -hmm. really about reimagining and uh, law as a computational system and something that can be engineered uh, more explicitly, can be measured so that we can get better predictable better and more predictable legal results. So, you know, everything from contracts to, um, you know, regulated, uh, there's an area of overlap there, uh, mm -hmm. you know, regulatory frameworks and how to do compliance, right? That we're starting to look at wills and trusts, which uh, in Canada and other jurisdictions, people are starting to reform those so that they exist as um, electronic and kind of networked instruments, um, you know, mortgages on and on down the line. Uh, so we're trying to understand that and take an MIT engineering approach um, uh -huh. and do some field building. So that's it at a how, high level. Well, how did you, I mean, you're, so you're the executive producer of the computational law report. Is that right? Yeah. This is like, is it the latest, this is one of many halves. <laughs> that's true. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the Spearhead project now is to bring these different research and teaching and other initiative threads of initiatives together we decided to focus on a new publication, the MIT Computational Law Report. Um, and we were um, very fortunate and, um, and pleased to get the first release of that um, out on the streets publicly on December 6th. Um, Fantastic. And, um, and, and, and you know, perhaps one of the best um, aspects of that initiative is the editor-in-chief who's come all the way out from legal hacker and uh, computational law exploits in the Midwest to be with us at MIT. And in fact, he's here with us on the podcast. All right. That Brian. A, that, was a, that was a good transition. Um, Smooth. Yeah. So I'm Brian. I'm Brian Wilson. I am the editor in chief of the MIT computational law report. I'm in, I'm also under Sandy's domain as part of the uh, connection science group there. Um, and I have done, you know, a few things in the last several years that kind of have 
brought me up to this point. I was uh, in the ABA Center for Innovations inaugural class of fellows. I was at a startup called Risk Genius, uh, where we used AI and machine learning to break down and quantitatively evaluate the language of insurance policies. And uh, I helped found Kansas City's Legal Hackers chapter uh, about six years ago. So, uh, you know, a lot going on and uh, a, lot of, a lot of things that are, have kind of just been around the space. And now it's, it's really nice that we have kind of the central place, the central group of players that we can regularly talk to and um, bounce ideas off of and produce content with. So we're, we're really happy to, you know, have you guys as part of that, uh, as part of that network. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's the, the kind of dynamism in this network. It's, uh, it's, it's something people need to join and, and experience it. Cause it's, I mean, everybody has great ideas, but they're also out there executing. And it's just, I mean, the collaborative environment is, is second to none, but Badaza, you didn't get a chance where, how do you come into this uh, from where your life story, how do you get here from where you were? Has this always been your thing? I doubt it because computational law is a relatively new thing. How did you even get in the space and what drew you to this? It is relatively, it is relatively, relatively new. Um, but in a sense, you could say the law is an information intensive field and it's been that way from, from mm. the start. You know, some of the first written instruments, you know, the writ of Hammurabi and, you know, all the way back, um, or, and oral, um, it's all about, you know, intelligently patterned, uh, you know, information, uh, that can help guide us, um, later, um, outside of this mm -hmm. world tradition. It's, you know, part of the fabric of civilization. And now, you know, as we, in, in, from the early days of, uh, of, um, network computing, you know, the, the, we've had these little kind of policies and procedures and terms and conditions and, robot.txt files and, uh, and, and code itself, of course, is, um, has always, has always um, reflected and supported rules. And so the way I got into this initially when I was in college uh, was um, but from running political groups. Uh, so uh, I was very interested in like the state legislature and I was an intern in the state house and um, you know, when I got out, I ended up running a political action committee and uh, my kind of claim to fame back then in the, um, well, the late eighties, uh, just to be, um, yeah, a little, a little shocking, uh, is, uh, was, um, using technology in order to get the job done better. So, you know, uh -huh. like databases or even just like, uh, doing something with like, um, you know, like a page layout in order to create a poster and then get it out to be able to do that in the same day. That something was happening was actually a strategic advantage um you know street mm -hmm. by street neighborhood by neighborhood and using databases to begin to understand where am i supposed to send you know i've got 10 volunteers that are ready to leave right. they're ready to knock on doors can't what do i do with the voters list and so you know wrangling data and making it work um before it was common um was um was uh what i did and uh and i've always just loved technology you know i took a lot of computer science courses undergrad although as a liberal arts major uh, and it's, I just find it fascinating. We used to have something called BitNet before the internet. Um, and mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in our uh, computer science uh, lab kind of 
just typing about fundamentally nothing with people like in you know Berlin and around the world as being we talked a lot about the weather and like what are you studying and that kind of stuff. But the fact that you could type and in real time be in communication with people right. um, was fascinating, and that still hasn't gotten old. Uh, but then fast forward, you know, ended up going to law school uh, based on more scratching a political itch uh, that I mm. that had, but matter of a you know, um, you know governance and uh, public service. And, um, and the web hit uh, when I was about midway through law school in um, 93. Uh, and, uh, and it was uh, absolutely, it blew me away. Uh, and so I just started right. making websites um, you know, within weeks of, of seeing um, the Mosaic browser for the first time. And, uh, uh -huh. and uh, made some websites for law schools and libraries and anyone that would let me make them for them. And, uh, and transitioned more into a blend of law and technology. Practiced law for the governor of Massachusetts as the technology council uh, after uh -huh. law school. Um, that was very interesting. It would be a Fortune 50 company if it was private. So we had a lot of desktops, we had a lot of networks, we had a lot of everything. Uh, and so I really cut my teeth as in-house counsel for a few years there. Did some policy work. Um, we did electronic signature legislation and um, you did a lot of, ended up doing a lot of prototypes. Uh, they gave me a lot of, an unusual amount of latitude as a, as an attorney to actually work in IT uh, and to work with a technologist to construct some PKI prototypes so banks could mm -hmm. file their um, reports with the Division of Banking um, electronically instead of by fax, which was how we did it. We did a lot with the right. motor vehicles. We, the first state to ever accept um, credit card online so people could like renew their um, like license plates and, you know, pay parking tickets. And that was very legal as well. You know, what the rules needed to be and how to mold the technology was, was seminal. And then anyway, when I got the law kind of out of my system, I just want to do technology full time. So I've been running a consulting company called civics.com since 99. Um, and that's my, that's my major thing. And, uh, to, but to be able to think big thoughts and to be able to you know, kind of understand and work with technology, people don't really pay for that, you know, on an, on, you know, for a gig or a deliverable, you know, it's more of a, you know, deadlines and more urgent uh, kind of priorities and milestones. So I kind of have one foot here at MIT uh, as a researcher. Yeah. Um, and so I'm able to kind of work in the lab here on, um, uh, in, in, a, in an additional uh, kind of role and, um, and, uh, and kind of be able to, uh, tinker, if you will, with technology, but also think bigger thoughts and try to understand what it means and how it's moving forward. So that, that's sort of like the road at a, at a high level. I've been at MIT since, um, also since 90, well, since 97 in, a, in sort of an adjunct capacity, but like mm -hmm. much more heavy, um, much heavier starting uh, uh, 2002. And then in 2011, I came back with Sandy's group. Um, and I've been in Sandy Pentland's group that, uh, that Brian referenced um, ever since. Uh, and it's really been about computational law all the way through, but only the last few years right. on that word for it. And I do think that that's a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, well, I, 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 I no, go ahead, well, Ruben. Tie that back to actual computational law. So when you, when you say that, it's, it's such a strange pairing of words for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you, if you meet somebody that doesn't know what that is, or say if you're on a podcast where you don't necessarily know who the audience is, how do you explain what it is that your report focuses on? Are there real world analogies that can be drawn? Or how do you, how do you concretize it in the minds of, of people that have never really heard those two words together before? Number one, it's about measuring, I'd say, and about using data. 
but uh, by my measurement, I have talked way too much in a long monologue. And so, and I also happen to know firsthand that Brian Wilson has got a terrific riff on what this is. So <laughs> I want to like, uh, uh, politely uh, kind of uh, uh, yield the balance of my time to my distinguished colleague. <laughs> Excellent. All right. No pressure. Uh, I love it. All right. <laughs> the gentleman from Massachusetts yields the balance <laughs> of his time. There, there we go. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the notion of computational laws is a really interesting one um, because law itself is a social science. And so, you know, we mm. ought to be able to measure it as though it, you know, we're more scientific. And I think uh, what we've seen with all of the technology advances over the years is that they're often ahead of where the legal industry is. So it's often playing catch up. And, and one of the things that was really striking to me um, and, and was one of my favorite things to read uh, while we were getting this publication out was the article that Sandy uh, submitted for us uh, where he describes law as just a legal algorithm. You know, it's an algorithm that has people effectuating certain, um, certain outcomes based on a set of conditions. And uh, that it's very much how people have been organized um, throughout throughout the years, increase, it's increasingly becoming something that exists more in this tech architecture, but it's, it's really just an algorithm under kind of like this different name of justice. Um, and, and I think one of the other things that has been really striking to me is all the computer science people I talk to who see, you know, this idea of governance, especially in the context of, uh, you know, blockchain governance or anything like that, a lot, of, a lot of people see law and governance as being these um, kind of uh, very important pieces uh, that, that are uh, kind of in the machinery of what it means to, uh, you know, move technology forward in a meaningful way. And so I think it's going to play an increasingly large role, like with AI, with the rise of big data, you know, the, the ability to effectively govern that. It, it, it fundamentally changes from something that, you know, was a paper paradigm to something that's now a data paradigm. And so, uh, you know, trying to understand what that new paradigm looks like a little bit is, uh, is, is really fun. Well, no, uh, absolutely. But I think one of the things that both of you touched on is, um, uh, well, the way you described it is very straightforward um, approach to problem solving and organizing ourselves in society. But the thing I was always struck with kind of both having been trained in the sciences, but then switching over to law um, early in my career, the different mindset of lots of folks who will practice those uh, led to this false dichotomy, which I think what you're pointing out is that's, you know, this is the use of data to be able to structure ways for people to interact and to have governance structures uh, to uh, help those organizations move forward in some way, right? And that uh, the almost the language, the culture, the the way people think about it had led to this this sense that there were two different realms, almost two different universes. And I think what you're talking about suggests something very different. So I, because I and I'm not well, I am saying that that obviously both lawyers and technologists over the years have learned to appreciate or at least understand their different worlds outside of their own. But this is kind of something which is almost proposing a new um, 
Esperanto, some some language where people can kind of understand and realize that what they're doing is related to these other things, and it's not some uh, difference. Um, yeah, I can you talk about that because it seems like in some ways this is not a radically new thing, but for a lot of lawyers who were not uh, accustomed to coding, computing, computation, likewise technologists who don't think about anything but writing code, th this kind of discussion se might seem new and um, not even sure how it relates. And clearly, it does. Can you can you talk about how sure. how you guys are approaching that? Um, yeah, so the another kind of element to this whole thing that uh, I, I, I glossed over, or didn't even mention was that it, you know, the this idea of kind of like bringing people together in these uh, kind of uh, interdisciplinary efforts, it's a, it, it requires a lot of, uh, a lot of like basic humanity and empathy mm -hmm. and understanding among, uh, you know, for all of the different places that people are coming from, um, you know, people go to law school and spend a lot of time and money to, you know, get a degree to become a lawyer. And then you get out and you can talk with computer scientists and feel like you don't know anything. And same with computer scientists, right? <laughs> right. And so I think there's a, there, it's almost, a, you know, a, a need to like recognize that everybody is, is pretty good at something. And we've got to figure out how we can connect what those little somethings are together so that we can, you know, collaborate together better as a whole. And, and so, uh, you know, trying to, trying to really hone in on what that user experience, that user interface for law is so that it's intuitive and accessible to everybody. And uh -huh. so that the people who have the ability to contribute that legal piece, they can directly contribute that legal piece. The, the people who have the ability to contribute the computer science piece, you know, they, they have their place in this uh, kind of overarching machinery uh, to, to use the same metaphor. Like they, mm -hmm. we've, we've got to figure out what the right place for the pieces are, like what those, what those places are. And uh, you know, I think then we can build something that's uh, more robust than uh, what we have now. And so I think, uh, yeah, from my end, I think it's the user experience piece uh -huh. as a, has a, anything to add there. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, so I, I'm glad that you said it's fundamentally about people um, and, you know, being a member of Team Human. Um, <laughs> so when you, but, and, um, it, so a way that I've looked at this over the years, in particular from consultancy and a lot of different companies mm -hmm. and governments, agencies in different places, um, is that there's kind of three different things going on. Um, with, with some of these big modern projects. One of them mm -hmm. is call it business generally, like um, mm -hmm. some business imperative, like we're rolling out a new product, it's government, we're, we've got a program that we're doing or some you know, service. Mm -hmm. um, number two, there's a legal element to what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. you know, contracts and regulatory regimes and you know, liability and risk management and IP, there's like a legal element infused in it. And there's a technology element, um, you know, mm -hmm. that's how we're doing it. And so to mm -hmm. really understand these things, um, you have to think of it as these three ways at once and hold them in your mind. And to make it mm -hmm. simple, I've had this acronym BLT, like a BLT sandwich, um, you know, the business, legal and technical layers. Mm -hmm. um, and so, the, you know, business people, you know, you've got your business school and your CEOs and COOs, CFOs, law, lawyers, uh, compliance people, um, 
et cetera, uh, technology or a CIO. So the law would be like the general counsel, the counsel's office, outside counsel, um, compliance, uh, some risk management, uh, and then technology, the CIO, the CTO, all the developers, the engineers. But so at the top level, this, at the, in, if you think about it, to make a big new thing go at a company or a government, you got to get business sign off from the agency head or the CEO or, the, or others. You got to get legal sign off. And, right. and the technology people have to sign off and, and, and do it. Um, so, uh, and so, but then you don't also need, this is helpful because you don't also have to go and talk to the, um, like the pastor or the philosopher or the whatever, uh, shipping and receiving. Like there's people, other people may be involved, but those three are actually seminal. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's an easy way to look at the connection between uh, different people, but also different views of the system and then make sure that the legal part supports and reflects the other parts um uh -huh. so in my old work uh in um in um the 90s doing supply chain and procurement and other big government systems uh even back then we had a concept of business rules um and mm -hmm. so now it's much there's much more um refined um standards and protocols to define the specific you know kind of like a workflows or an approval chains and you know when you need to keep a record of something or when you have to put a certain conspicuous notice up uh and and th this is all driven in bigger systems by these um standardized um so-called business rules the business rules but a lot of that is legal encoded in the system that the technologists are doing so like this kind of combination of law expressing itself as code um, and, you know, being um, expressed like through a standard interface to drive software is not too new in some areas. What we have to do a better job now of is, is finding ways to generalize it so that the practice of law um, and the understanding of a legal fact pattern is much more conversant with the, the business and the technology environments within which that, um, that those facts exist. Well, and, and you're suggesting that n nobody can view the other discipline or or part of this, you know, in your case, you, this this uh, three-legged stool as supplemental. This the BLT, like everybody has to understand, this is part of that of what they do. Even if you can't code as a lawyer, what you're doing has a fundamental technology component. Even if you don't understand constitutional law and and everything that you need to, as a technologist, understand that that legal regimes uh, are a key part of of what you're building. Uh, so that's that's what you. So yeah, yeah, and be able to issue spot it. So some of this is education, some of yeah. it's just expectations. Like when people are talking mm -hmm. at meetings, there's a lot of people talking past one another. I think we, we need to have a culture where the technologists are comfortable asking questions and and where we can explain things well, so that they could spot. A privacy issue or a constitutional issue or a contract issue easily in their code and know when to ask questions about it like when, when i write up rules for big systems now i actually put business section first all the business stuff who's paying for what who's in charge uh business practices you know who's in and who's out uh then the legal part in the middle um so all, all the you know uh the the the, the um uh you know, basically the liability is like 80% of that usually in the IP and everything else. And then the technology stuff, like what are the standards and the interfaces and what, you know, what are we supporting? What are the use cases? How do you onboard and offboard in one document with one single glossary? 
so that people can, and then I try to make sure it's like 10th or 12th grade reading level when I use like the Microsoft Word little reviewers so that anyone could read any other section and see the interdependencies between mm -hmm. them. So there's a lot of cross-referencing in there so that none of it's beyond anybody. And those seem right. to be sustainable systems. The other thing is think about these big contracts that we write when we're out there practicing. Um, you write a contract for a deal and the business people, maybe some of them scan it or know the key deal points. Technology mm -hmm. people may not read it at all, most of them. Right. And then within a month and a year and two years, you get this drift, like continental drift, where like the systems keep evolving, the business practices evolve, and, and it bears less and less relationship to the contract. It's not allowing the contract, there's a lot of wisdom and business judgment embedded in the contract terms. We need to find better ways to integrate that holistically as part of the business and the technology of the ventures and uh, in the, and the you know pro, um, the products and programs that were that were part of so the, well, the picture you're painting here i think both you and and brian is I, I think really fantastic it's a very interdisciplinary way of approaching this and as i'm hearing what you're saying it seems very output driven you you talked about expressing code as law you talked about uh this is a way of structuring things but what I think is really interesting is the, one of the first things that both you and Brian, the both Daza and Brian mentioned uh, when you were kind of tearing into your initial definition of computational law is measurement. And mm -hmm. so I'm having a hard time, that's, that's giving me the thumbs up. So <laughs> I'm having a hard time figuring out for myself where that fits in. So can you talk a little bit about mm -hmm. where the measurement angle that is mm -hmm. apparently mm -hmm. very critical fits in? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I can take that one. Um, so, you know, it, the the way that we do law is is kind of interesting because the uh, you know if 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 we were engineering the law we would have to you know specify what the outcomes were that we wanted from the beginning we would kind of have to have a dialogue about okay you know how how do we think we'll get there how can we build you know something of a framework that uh, achieves like a stated outcome so you know you you have goals for a system you have measurement criteria for how the system will perform you do testing, you adopt and revise your standards in order to get, you know, better uh, performance, and then you audit it periodically. Okay. And so, so this is following, uh, this is following Sandy's kind of framework that you laid out in yeah, your- Yeah, so, so the, they, they've done this with, the, uh, with a uh, system for roads in Sweden where they, they figure out how to, how to route traffic better um, mm -hmm. to reduce congestion by having these different, uh, kind of like legal incentives for the toll roads um, so that people are uh, avoiding the areas that uh, get really clogged up. And, and what they were able to do was, uh, you know, they, they were able to come up with something that was a lot more, uh, a lot more friendly to, to the, to the people of the city who are trying to get places effect efficiently. But it was also, uh, it was also something that, you know, they were able to kind of continually go back and improve. And, and, and so I think, you know, looking at how we do law, I think we need a little bit more of that, right? So I, I think, you know, in, instead of having discussions that are filled with anecdotes and um, analogies and, uh, you know, maybe like a one person's like story, what if we had a bunch of data that was feeding in to tell us whether or not this was effective you know, we looked at what that data said, looked at how people were feeling, and then kind of like periodically revisited it. Yeah, and just to expand on that a little bit, or to actually go a little deeper. So a lot of data is definitely good, but the, to distinguish what Brian was saying from 
how some of you might be thinking about it, is um, not just data like a big pile of data that we used and we analyzed or did data science and got some insight that we should change the traffic laws, for example, to use that scenario, um, and maybe make this a one-way street and more parking over there, but continuous feeds of data. And so the nature of this application uh, is that there's sensors, for example, on the roadways, in this case, it's sensors. Right as opposed to network traffic or other stuff in other fields. Uh, and then the rules are, isn't just now until further notice, it's 55 miles an hour here and the HOV lanes over there, but they're adaptive based on some mm -hmm. ranges and thresholds and you know um, other parameters within, within a system so that you can get some adaptation and squeeze traffic a little bit or increase the toll. And then furthermore, and go one level higher, and this is where it connects to reg tracks, I think, a little bit, and, and mm -hmm. how to regulate in the modern economy, is um, now you can start to answer questions like, what was the purpose of this regulation? And are we right. getting further or closer to achieving the purpose by looking at the data? And you could actually change those parameters. You can amend the rule. You could repeal the rule if it's totally not right. and try something different. But the idea of being able to measure the performance and the outcomes of law itself, um, in public law and certainly contract law and other areas of law, we think is fundamental to what to the one of the best capabilities and out and um, and benefits that's available in computational law, and, and 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 it should make for better, more predictable legal results, which are legal results are hard to predict right now. People are confused. Mm -hmm. This is not good enough. I mean, what, yeah, what well, is, it's go ahead, Mike. No, it's just, I mean, it's, it's such a radically different approach than a lot of the way a lot of folks have been trained in the law to look at it, which is to, to say the anecdote, the example, we would never admit to anecdote, but it is like the, that one case that defines the law for all other types of, uh, you know, in, in within that, that framework, instead of, uh, getting a good real world database measurement of how these things are, are moving and kind of placing the value, the normative value question first, like we want to have safe streets and then taking measurement to figure out what, what, uh, what the parameters are to make it a safe street. Is 15 miles an hour safe? Uh, I don't know, let's look at the data. Versus, you know, we had, here's a case and we're gonna, we're gonna litigate it all the way up to the high court. You know, the, the, it's a, such a different approach. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that it's almost, it almost requires uh, relearning how to think about the law for lawyers. And I'm speaking as a lawyer, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's also very liberating because you can, essentially you, you get to try to look at uh, what's going on in the real world with so much change. We need to understand things uh, that are, that are much bigger, much more dynamic, much more complex than than anything that's offered. You know, the the kind of the approach that we've we've had to analyze this up to now. Yeah, just so, and if I could just uh, highlight one other thing based on what you just said, Michael. Um, so you can take a goal like safety and then see, you know, well, 15 miles right. an hour. Okay, now we're a lot more safe. 10 miles an hour, one mile an hour. Okay, we're really safe now. But there's always multiple goals. Right. Yes. Uh, and so yes. one of the really cool things that I think is enthused me enough to have to learn, you know, data science and mathy stuff, which I was not part of my my um, my wheelhouse before and which is difficult uh, for me. Um, but what makes it worth it is the idea that we can actually begin to identify multiple 
even somewhat competing objectives. And uh -huh. then we can um, measurably start to figure out what the balance is between them or what we would call in, in, in one kind of realm of data science and management science, um, optimization of the system. Mm -hmm. so that you can start mm -hmm. to rate and do different weights against different um, goals and then tune tune the system in order to, to, to find that more optimal um, you know, balance. And by balance, I don't mean 50-50 or you know, a perfect state right. of equilibrium. It's always there's a dynamic tension. This mm -hmm. is very, now it becomes very cool. Now we're in the sim of life itself, you know, through, through right. regulation and law. Right. I mean, well, as having the scientific method for law where we, we just never leave the right. analysis. Right, that, that's right. really what yeah. it's extremely reminiscent of. Um, right. Yeah. Well, and, and as uh, you, you know, you know, looking looking forward too, like like looking at you know the notion of a smart city and looking at like uh, the the human computer interfaces like Alexa and like all of these new technologies that are coming out and becoming more popular. Um, you know, the Ring doorbell, for example. the The way that we the way that we have to think about regulating things can't. You know, I, I don't think it would, uh, like Michael said, work with kind of like an analogy. Like you, you're not going to be able to regulate a smart city through an analogy. You're going to have to have something that, uh, you know, takes into account the unique considerations of something that produces, you know, all of these pieces of data, like so many times a second. And, and I think that, you know, it, it does require um, in, in these specific contexts, it does require like a new way of thinking. And so one of the things that we're really hoping to do is challenge people to, you know, start thinking about what those new ways of thinking are, start testing, you know, what does it look like? Can we, can we do it? And then having, you know, a comprehensive discussion about, you know, what's, what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? Indeed. And so, I, I just so, realized I should, I should just um, highlight if I did, some people might be confused about my last comment because I didn't give any actual example. So in addition to safety, you could imagine if it's not clear, also saying another goal is speed. How fast right. do people like get to work? Another goal is how many people can we get to work? Right. Okay. Right. Um, another goal is how about economic development? Like, okay, in this right. part of the roadway, we actually want, we have a small business thing. We have right. more off ramps here. Do we make it easier? We also want to promote, um, you know, um, energy -modal. vehicles. Exactly. So we have like right. different OBs and et cetera, et cetera. So that, those are examples of what I meant by multiple yeah. objectives that you can balance between sorry to interrupt you no so so given that but also given your words of wisdom daza about about everybody wants to be that renaissance woman or man who knows everything about everything but it's in, increasingly impossible if it ever was to understand data science law um philosophy uh all sorts of different disciplines and most folks don't even have the time much less capacity, but they're mindful of like how rapidly the technologies are not just uh, impacting, but changing our world. So you mentioned Alexa, you mentioned ring, you've mentioned all these things and, and uh, pretty soon. And then you mentioned the unmentionable, all the algorithms, which most people hard to even define what one is much less what they do when our best data scientists and folks will say, we've actually figured out how to create neural networks where there's a black box and, we set it up. We're not exactly sure what goes on inside. So all these raise questions for those who are not in the know, are not grappling with it, you know, hands on the small percentage of folks who are in that, that data science and 
algo writing mode. So how do we then also not just, how do we make sure that this is in the public's broad interest? How do we make sure that what's going on, which can be much more sophisticated, much more nuanced, much more, um, it can be data, in, data informing our, uh, our uh, approach to these things. How can that data be uh, provided to folks in a way that allows for real governance and real participation, real input, and is not just something that big data companies or big governments, you know, there are governments who deploy these kind of things, are essentially in control of something that should be um, uh, the public's. In other words, like when data and technology seems to be getting far, far ahead of the capacity and understanding of, of governance, how do we deal with this? It's it's not a minor question. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, there's, you know, I think that this is the big question of of our time and our generation, but like, here's a couple of thoughts on it. One of them is, you know, the idea of the goal of having like the philosopher king that knows everything about everything isn't right. a realistic or even I don't think a desirable goal. You know, the, mm-hmm. the best goal is the realistic one about, you know, how people are and what, what are people really up for? And, and people mm-hmm. like we segment into different types of, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, we have different sorts of aptitudes and different kinds of skills and talents. And, um, and so I think one of the things is just a, um, to get a real premium on um, on kindness and connection and the ability to have a sense of humility um, and, and ask people and have people be able to answer simply and respectfully what the F they're talking about. Like when they bring up some <laughs> deep right. thing, it's not just like, well, go to law school and talk to me then. Like be able to <laughs> say a few things about the mm-hmm. essence of what, of what agency law is and why it would matter that under these circumstances, this person might be a fiduciary, so that they understand something. And the, the same with technologists, to be able to communicate a little bit better that what we can do isn't be, you know, like the king, but we can be the collaborator. Um, and one, you know, who like, on, uh, as Brian loves to talk about team human, but I really do think there's a, and I really think there's a lot to that. Finding ways that we can be on these multi, disciplinary, interdisciplinary, like what um, we used to say at the Media Lab is anti-disciplinary teams, where mm-hmm. we bring what we have to it, uh, and that we learn how to communicate, and, and we learn how to learn, you know, what, what's relevant, at least, uh, for us, uh, in order to interact well on, on these modern projects. Um, so I think that's, that's one part of it. And I think you raised a few other things in your question there, too, about the almost looming sense of like, you know, like this, like out of the Death Star technology of concentrated, you know, data uh, that's, you know, rising on the horizon. Like, I think those raise, those, that raises, you know, some deeper societal questions for sure, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we're going to have to deal with at, at, at a broader social compact level. Yeah, and, and kind of to that end real quick, uh, you know, the, the black box issue is one that we, we've got to begin grappling with right away. Like there, I, I think somebody was telling me that there was a, uh, uh, an algorithm for, you know, trying to, trying to predict which mugshot was the one of the person who committed the crime and mm-hmm. uh, it ran a bunch of images through. And what it came up with was effectively, you know, the person who's wearing the orange jumpsuit committed the crime. And right. so it's like, okay, well, that's completely divorced of any context. So right. like, 
what is there a way that we can make it so that the technology is working for the people in a way that right. is more like an Iron Man suit than uh, you know R two D two three PO? And I think one example of that that uh, I, I've seen I, I was in the I was working under the chief innovation officer in Kansas City um, while mm. I was in law school, and we got to work on. Uh, coming up with ways to regulate uh, Airbnb and Uber and uh, some of the sharing economy applications. And one mm -hmm. of the things that, um, you know, I got to see firsthand was that, you know, you can use some of this data as a way to more effectively, uh, more efficiently, you know, ensure that that level of trust is there between members of a community, members of a society, people using Airbnb, um, you know, the hosts themselves that data can be put to work to the benefit of everybody else. So mm. for example, mm. Airbnb will uh, do certain taxes if you're a host and uh, take care of all of that for you. And so it's like, okay, well now we're getting into this notion of data can be uh, used in this computational format as a, as a way to effectuate some legal process. And, and so I think it's going to, uh, you know, the direction forward might be something like a data tax or a data audit where the data mm -hmm. is going from, you know, the people who are using it through some sort of process where it can be like, okay, uh, is, is this a good outcome? Is this a bad right. outcome? It's the outcome of, you know, uh, everybody who wears orange getting, uh, you know, convicted of a crime that they didn't commit, or is this right. something that actually, uh, we're, we're okay with. And so I think, uh, I think that can, you know, offer one direction. Well, and that gets back to your team human idea, which is that, I mean, you, you only play, you're only one part of the team and you don't play every position. It doesn't even make sense. And you certainly can't. In the case you just talked about, literally, like there are a lot of folks didn't even think about the, the potential to have this data used for creating a, a new, you know, a tax or something like that. But the data scientists, knows it do does it and is thinking about it so it's like literally even just being in the same room and like you said daza uh communicating in a way that everybody can kind of understand and then you can see you know your own problems somebody else may have some solutions but it's the conversation within this shared um you know this community and and language that allows for the the identification of those and trying to create some of these new ways of approaching it. Yeah, just so. So imagine, uh, just to kind of kick it back into a legal context. Yeah. So we've got uh, some new public program, say, that's going to be you know, fundamentally algorithmically driven, uh, you know, whether it's uh, a, a tax thing or a, uh, like maybe like public benefits, like here's the algorithm we're going to use to figure out eligibility for, for some mm -hmm. uh, you know, benefit or, uh, or whatever. Uh, and so uh, you could imagine uh, in the sort of future along the lines, I think, of what Brian was getting at, uh, at, a, at a large scale, you know, project 10 years in the future, that um, the government, uh, if it's a federal agency, uh, would, would publish like a, a notice of proposed rulemaking uh, mm -hmm. or something else in a federal register. And they would, they could describe the algorithm. They could include, mm -hmm. you know, some, mm -hmm. some reference implementation. They could put the math out and then they could mm -hmm. have a period of public comment. They could even put it, they could point to a GitHub repo with reference implementation so that you could say, okay, if I was like a mother uh, who's 40 years old and I had four children, two of whom were like this, and had this income, would I be eligible? And you can mm -hmm. start to model it and understand it 
and provide comments back about you know places where there may be bias or it may be inefficient mm -hmm. or what have you. So by exposing this in ways that right. people time to think about it and to look at it from different angles, I'm like that's one sort of institutional kind of approach uh, that you, that you could imagine. Uh, just but, but you know with, you know transparency is very important, but also um, responsiveness in time for people to digest, especially when technology is new. Um, you know, like mm -hmm. I remember in the 80s, um, we had um, these um, computer societies like uh, Berkeley, uh, right. Mac Computer Society, Boston Computer Society. Boston Computer Society had like 35,000 people in it because nobody knew what a desktop computer was. Like PCs were new and we would kind of get together and we would be like, oh, well, you can do this and you can put a new memory in and you know, like you can do this with an application. We would talk about it. There were like record societies uh, for like vinyl records for a while. Right. People go to each other's house and like play records and look at it and change the needle and talk about it. There were telephone societies when, when <laughs> telephones started to become more popular in people's room. People would call and they would look and talk about it and what a switchboard was. It takes people a while to digest something new. Um, and we need to actually be very um, aware of that and build that into our thinking and into our priorities until people are familiar enough uh, with the new technologies and new ways of behaving and ways of um, interacting so that we can start to apply, you know, our legal principles and, uh, and our values appropriately. Well, and, and you're, you touched on something which may be, um, well, it's, I think could have a, from a process perspective, really profound shift in how people engage with government and governance, which is literally um, going from a paper one time, one meeting notice and comment to something which is uh, real time dynamic. The, you know, the ability to interact with the proposed algorithm to, to tweak it, to look at crowd sourcing and crowd commenting, those kind of things uh, deal with a lot of the fundamental challenges that uh, folks who are in government trying to do things in the public interest face, which is it's there's it's it's very uh, it's the opposite of dynamic. Indeed, it's the opposite of real real participatory approaches. So it it offers a lot that have in in the way of of kind of an engaging democratic structure that that. Uh, has haven't really been tried yet. So I think it's, there's a lot of things even kind of uh, for uh, outside of technology, the folks uh, posing the opportunities in different ways can get them to, to imagine how it could help what they're trying to do on the ground. Uh, you don't have to be super into the new code. You don't have to be, you know, a blockchain aficionado to say, oh, I see the opportunity here. I see how this can really help move forward to the objectives of what we're trying to do on affordable housing, on climate change, and whatever else. You're here. So yeah. So so you all are pushing this hard, and we are super excited to see it. What kind of things should we expect? Because we're going to go on and come back to this conversation in the future. But in in the short term, uh, what can we expect to hear out of? your shop, what things should we be looking for? What should listeners be on the lookout for coming up? Well, let's see. Whether it's your publications, your events, or anything else. Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a few things coming up. Um, uh, 
you, Brian, do, do you have any announcements? Uh, I, do, I do. I, do. <laughs> um, I, I was, uh, I was, I was going to see uh, if you had it, but uh, so, so we are. Uh, we're doing it. in my recollections. The first thing that came up. So, so we, we, we've got the, the, the first release of the computational law report out now uh, available at law.mit.edu. Um, we are doing a workshop, which will probably be completed by the time this podcast runs, but uh, okay. information about that will be available on law.mit.edu as well. That is the, what, what's the workshop? It's, it's yeah. the annual MIT IAP computational law course or workshop. So we go back and forth. Uh, and it's a short course that goes like you know, two, two or three days, three days this year. Uh, where we get small group of people together in person and online and uh, have some very, you know, uh, good speakers to kind of, um, you know, spark um, ideas and uh, about uh, different applications of computational law. And then we do little group exercises and uh, have, um, you know, good discussion and, and a little bit of hacking along the way. Um, yeah, and, and really excited very this cool. year because we'll have, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with community.lawyer. Um, but we've, we, we're kind of going to be modeling a way that you can write a no code solution that takes information from one Excel spreadsheet and, uh, effectuate some legal process and then writes information to another Excel spreadsheet. So it's kind of going across really? the spectrum of what computational law can be and something that is approachable to everybody. And so- wow. We're really excited about getting that out there because we we hope it can be kind of uh, the uh, the first taste of what what people can actually do with uh, you know doing stuff like this on their own. Um, and this is a, as a little context. The community lawyers, as Brian said, no code. It's a no pull down menus that kind of thing. But it's basically a veneer uh, or an interface over an uh, open source project called Doc Assemble, which is you know, kind of like document assembly for a contract uh -huh. or whatever. Uh, but it also allows you to do kind of conditional logic and uh, it has all these great interfaces and APIs so you can connect it with other processes. And um, uh, so that's, a, we think it's a great, well, first of all, it's great in practice, but it's also a right. great teaching tool. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. And easy. Yeah. Our whole thing, our yeah. whole thing, let's face it, is like how to make all of this stuff easier so we can actually go tackle, go from, uh, conceptualization to implementation and getting this stuff happening in the real yeah, world. Yeah, it, it's like uh, I, I heard, uh, I, I forget who it was, but it was some UI UX person uh, doing a lecture and they were, they were talking about how the, the, the only acceptable user interfaces now on mobile are the ones that you don't need instructions for. And so yep. if, <laughs> if, we, if we kind of take some version of that and apply it to, you know, the way that we're thinking about law, the way that we're thinking about computation, we, we definitely yeah. have accessibility problem and so trying to we're really trying to focus on that piece a little bit um uh back to the kind of uh, upcoming events uh, well, yeah. this workshop assuming that, that it's if it's not too late and it hasn't happened already it's very possible to participate online yes right? and then the sign up is also on law.mit.edu and i think it's free is that yep it's free okay. we'll actually have uh we, we will have a lecture We'll have all the lectures recorded. We'll have, uh, you know, resources and materials so that you can all right. check it out. Right. Uh, and there are archives, I think, the last couple yep. of years. Yep. Every year. Online, so. uh, we yep. make a GitHub repo for each course so that 
it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Uh, we could build on things and they're still there and got version control. Um, and we decided to put a cap, uh, a, like an end of the month cap on it to give people more time to think about projects and, and answer, um, you know, kind of provocative questions that speakers have provided. So I think we, we've done uh, J January 24th. 24th uh, is correct. Afternoon. So if you hear about this after the course, uh, days are over on January 7th, 8th, and 9th, you can still potentially dive in and at least, you know, fill out our for the form and apply. And you can still potentially have time to think about things and do a project yourself or with a group in, in your own city and then present it um, uh, on the, in time for the 24th. Okay. And the worst awesome. case scenario is the archives. So, yep. exactly. Perfect. So sorry, Brian, I interrupted you. Oh, yeah, no, you're totally fine. Um, uh, well, in the, in the last, uh, and then not the last one, but uh, so we'll have uh, also uh, working with Jameson at Legal Hackers to do the uh, Computational Law Plus Festival, kind of uh, okay. getting that going uh, and, and it, making it so that it's able, if you, if you come up with something, you know, at a, at a note of this hackathon, that you want to submit as either a lecture or a, um, you know, data science project or, you know, some blockchain governance scheme, uh, mm -hmm. that is like, we're, we're going to be trying to work so that we can highlight some of the, some of the efforts coming out of there. And then in May or not in May, in April, uh, we will be out visiting you guys at future law. All right. Looking um, forward to it. So very excited about that. We're putting uh, a panel together, uh, highlighting some a lot the work we've been doing over the last few years and really heavy over last year on automated and autonomous legal entities like corporations and LLCs. And we're trying to put together a bit of a summit um, with people uh -huh. that are projects from around the world doing this um, in, and then some discussion and maybe a little bit of workshopping. So we're gonna try to squeeze all of that into a couple of uh, prodigious hours at Future Law at Stanford's Codex, one of the best events of the year. Well, we're gonna to have to have a follow-up. We, in fact, were thinking we wanted to dive into that, but we dove so much into the, the high level and nitty gritty of what we're talking about with computational law, we didn't get to it, but we're, we'll look to that. We'd love to get you back on the pod and, and talk about that in particular because uh, I, I really do feel like that's one of those emerging ideas, which is soon to become reality and could have a huge impact on, on legal practice, on organization uh, across the board. And so yeah. many, that that's super exciting. I mean, it so really we will look to, to that. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, sorry, awesome. The last thing. So on your, on your website, there is a, uh, a note about a computational law gala. Is that, the same thing as the, the computation law plus fest or is that something else looks like there's still kind of sparse details about well it's accurate that there's sparse details um. <laughs> we that that's still uh so so we're doing we're going to do the uh so the event that we did where we did the first release of the publication we we had been referring to it as a soft launch um because uh we we didn't hit the uh the, the kind of press machine button to get all the feelers out to everybody and get people talking about it. Um, and, and we wanted to just get some preliminary feedback so that we could know how to kind of, you know, guide it, craft it a little bit better, a little bit differently, maybe um, so that it is as optimized as it can be. Um, it. So 
the gala is really going to serve as the 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 hard launch and that's uh it, the the date for it is still up in the air but that will be um sometime probably at the end of february beginning of march um and and we'll just kind of uh have uh, I, I I don't know that we've settled on much of a definition for it, but we're we're just gonna. I'm have, thinking uh, of it like a like a debutante ball for for the publication, sort of like okay, Vir- virtual black tie. Yes. B- BYO <laughs> data. BYO I, data. Yes. I like it. Any and all of those sound. Uh, love like it. it would be a- <laughs> right, black tie. Right, so, that. Block tie. Oh, that's nice. All right. <laughs> oh, all right. Ouch. Yes. Okay. So how do we get in, how do listeners or anybody else get in touch with you? Find out more. Law.mit.edu. Just right. remember that little lyric there and, you know, right. tap your little fingers to the ultimate um, enjoyment of computational law. And so you can, uh, all of the things that we talked about um, are available at that URL. And, okay. um, and th- there's more stuff coming. But you know, perhaps the best thing coming up is um, you, dear listener, dear podcast listener, you can submit your ideas, your articles, your data science projects, um, you know, your, uh, your rich media uh, that relates to computational law, something that you've invented or something that you're participating in or even your ideas about what other people are doing that you know, shed new light or raise new questions. Submit those, and you could be part of the authors and the contributors to this publication. Um, and you can find that form at law.mit.edu. And you can also come and read. Um, and you know the readers are, are also real participants. You know we've got we're forming better ways to have um, more of a public forum, so to encourage discussion. That obviously, as, uh, as, as we can tell from social media and politics and everything else is something that's gonna require real balance. I know that's part of what you've been working on with Reg Tracks as well. Uh, but, but I'd say the best thing that's coming up is, uh, is the extension and the expansion and you know, adding more vibrancy to the community and the content uh, and the innovation under the umbrella of this publication. Yeah, and just to do, do, yeah. do a couple quick little ones. If you want to hop on our about page at law.mit.eu, there you can find an email, which is just contact at computationallaw.org if you'd like to email us. We also have a link to our Telegram channel there. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a rather terrible uh, link. We'll link to it. We'll link to it in, this, in the, show in the show notes. notes right? yeah. But, uh, so, yes, so it'll be in the show notes, um, which is much much easier to get to than typing in that terrible, <laughs> terrible string of letters that's right, and numbers. That's right. no. uh, outstanding. Uh, Daza, Brian, fantastic work. We're super excited to hear about it. We're even more excited to dive into it. Um, you know, oh, I'm sure our listeners will agree. You know, there's a lot to look forward to. It's a great way to kick off 2020. Uh, first of many conversations, uh, like we've said, Ruben, any final thoughts? Yeah, thank you both. This was uh, incredibly illuminating. Uh, I will say, Deza, I did promise you that I would let you talk about uh, a dog on the podcast. Either the latter. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Right. So, final um, word. Ordinarily, I like to talk about Jonathan Askin's dog, uh, but today I'm going. I'm going to do a, a hat tip to a little darling named Hazel, a labradoodle in 
Wabin, Massachusetts, um, who I am the honorary uncle of. And a little bit later today, um, we're going to go out and we're going to take a walk. And I think we're going to frolic under the skies of New England. That is... Never been jealous of a dog before, but here we go. <laughs> what, what a way to end. Yeah. Love it. Love Crypto it. Crypto doggies. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, you both. If we can get a short video of the frolicking, that will be also be on the show. Yeah. No, no, no doubt. No doubt. Thanks. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks God, so much yeah. for having us. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Really yeah. good. good luck on the podcast. And we, we can't wait to keep uh, kind of hearing your, your media and collaborating with you. This, this is the good stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Likewise. All right. On behalf of Ruben, I'm Mike Schmitz. Uh, this is our data. And we'll look to, to joining you next time. Good night. Bye. And later. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you, get your thoughts and feedback about the issues raised in the podcast and your ideas on where we should go next. Our Data is a podcast brought to you by the Blockchain Group and the Tech for Good project of Stanford's Codex Center for Legal Informatics. Thanks to the co-chairs of the Codex Blockchain Group, Tony Lai and Kushagra Srivastava and Codex Executive Director Roland Vogel. And special thanks to our producer, co-host, and jack-of-every-trade, Ruben Youngbaum. I'm Michael Schmitz.